Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Peter. You can bring me down just a little bit now, guys. You can bring me down to 1 Peter. Bring me down to 1 Peter. You can bring me down to 1 Peter. I'm going down to the river. I'm going down to 1 Peter. <laughs> you can go to 1 Peter. I'm having a good time this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, we're coming up to Thanksgiving, and I was thinking about Thanksgiving messages and all the different things I could preach and say and whatever. You know, we've had a great Thanksgiving week planned, and we're going to be going and seeing Heather's family. Now, Heather told me I can't say anything about food this morning, so all I'm going to say is we're not going to eat at Bob Evans. Now, I heard some of y'all were eating at Bob Evans this past Sunday, so we have watchers that are watching you. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) What do you think our safety team's for? They go out and they watch, make sure you don't consume things that are bad for your health. No, I'm just joking. I'll stop. I'll stop. I just had to get it in, you know? So... You know, we can, we can be thankful in the natural for a lot of things. You know, we're thankful for our jobs. We're thankful for our families. Our natural man can be thankful for a lot of things, right? And I mean, just go on Facebook and everybody's got their, I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful. Maybe some of you do. And then, you know, we list all the things we're thankful for, but give it, give it about a week. And then next week after Thanksgiving's over, there'll be their, the family that they were thankful for annoys them. That coffee that was so good is bitter. And you know, we just, everything changes after Thanksgiving's over, right? <laughs> But there is a thankfulness that comes from God Himself. There is, a, there is a spiritual awakening, a spiritual thankfulness to the realities of God. And I want to take a look at this, this heavenly thankfulness. I don't, want to, I don't want to be caught up in my carnal thanksgiving. I don't want to get carnal. Oh, I'm thankful for this and thankful for this. And then the next week turn around and start being the, the ugly old grumpy Gus that's bitter at everybody and hates the world, right? I want to be thankful with the joy and the thanksgiving that only God can give. I don't know about you, but I, I want the thankfulness of heaven in my life. And I, I would guarantee you, I'll guarantee you that if you'll begin to put on the, the joy of the Lord, the thanksgiving of God, that's what is the joy of the Lord? It's thankfulness. It's being thankful. It's the, it's the worship and the praise that comes from those wells of salvation that we're talking about. If you'll begin to be thankful, Instead of telling your husband how ugly he is. My wife doesn't tell me that. She might think it some days. I think it some days, but she might. <laughs> instead, of, instead of telling your kids how horrible they are, telling the person off in the grocery line because they're not fast enough for you, just begin to be thankful. Just begin to put on the thankfulness of Christ and see what happens in your life. Things will begin to change. In 1 Peter, you know, Peter writes his letter 
to the dispersion. He starts off his letter to those that are dispersed. And he's writing to those who are dispersed throughout what is modern Turkey. These cities that he lists in First Peter are modern Turkey. And so he's writing to those that have been dispersed because of persecution. If you will remember back to Acts chapter 2, if you'll compare these cities to those that were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, you'll find some of the same cities listed. These men that were hearing the, the 120 speak in tongues. It's these folks that were present on the day of Pentecost. They experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They experienced the, the realness of the presence of God for themselves. They were part of those who got born again in that 3,000 number. They were part of those that were getting transformed by the presence of God. And then if you remember after the baptism in the Holy Spirit, persecution began to set in. Saul came to town and Stephen was martyred, the deacon. He was the first martyr. And persecution began to happen. And in Acts 8 it says that all of the disciples, all of those that were being discipled, all of these believers were being spread out. They were being dispersed abroad and only the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everyone else was dispersed. This is the dispersion that Peter's writing to. They have experienced persecution. At the time of Peter's writing, Nero's in power. How many of you remember Nero? He wasn't quite the nice guy. He was burning people alive, Christians burning them alive, impaling them to be torches for his garden parties. These these were the men and women that Peter was writing to. And we think we have it tough because the grocery line doesn't move fast <laughs> enough, right? These, these are the folks that Peter's writing to and he says to them some very profound statements that we'll pick up in verse 6. He says, when you're in the middle of persecution, when you're in the middle of tough times, when you're in the middle of, of Nero who is who literally a year after writing this epistle, Nero sets the city of Rome on fire and blames the Christians. This, this is the man that we're dealing with. And Peter says, considering these things, he's writing from Rome under the rule of Nero. He's writing these things to those that have been dispersed. says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you now do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of the, your faith, the salvation of your souls. This, this Greek word for joy, inexpressible and full of glory, is unutterable. It means unspeakable, overflowing, abundant joy. It is unutterable joy, unchanging, eternally unspeakable, abundantly overflowing joy, because it is the joy between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This joy that you and I can tap into in the middle of difficult seasons, the joy that you and I can begin to experience in our lives. It's not a carnal joy. It's not carnal thanksgiving. It is the joy of God Himself. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is what? My strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength, not your joy, not your happiness, not your carnal thanksgiving, but the joy of heaven. There is right now and always has been this eternal love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is as if it were the, the Father the, is loving the Son and protruding from the Son is the, or protruding from the Father is being breathed this Holy Spirit of love. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit Spirit is the spirit of love and out of the Father towards the Son is exuding this love to the Son. And it's this ongoing relationship. And why are they joyful? Why are they happy? They are self-existent in and of themselves. They are perfectly happy, perfectly self-contained. No one could add anything to them or take anything away from them. When God said, let us make man in our image, they didn't need your help or your advice. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. This is the God who created all things. This is the God of the supernatural joy Peter is talking about. This is the God that Peter is talking about. This is the joy that you and I can step into. This is the joy that you and I can participate in. That God extends to us freely if we'll come in by faith. This is what Jonathan Edwards said about this joy. He said, we often read of the father loving the son and being well pleased in the son and of the son loving the father. In the infinite love and delight that is between these two persons consists the infinite happiness of God. Because they are infinitely happy. Because they, they infinitely love each other. Because there's this infinite relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is an infinite happiness that exists between them. Proverbs 8.30 says, Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And therefore, seeing the scripture signifies that the Spirit of God is the love of God. Therefore, it follows that the Holy Spirit proceeds from or is breathed forth from the Father and the Son in some way or other infinitely above all our conceptions as the divine essence entirely flows out and is breathed forth in infinitely pure love and sweet delight from the Father and the Son. And this is that pure river of water of life that proceeds out of the throne of the Father and the Son as we read at the beginning of Revelation 22. For Christ himself tells us that the water of life or living water is meant by the Holy Ghost. There is this infinite love between the Father and between the Son. It is the Holy Spirit. And out of this relationship is pictured this river of life, this river that is clear as crystal, that flows from the throne in Revelation 22. Jesus in John 7 stood up and said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This same living water that flows from the throne can flow through you and I. So I can step in. I can come by faith and step in to the, the river of joy that's flowing from the throne. I can step into this river of joy. What are some of the things that bring us joy? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, what? Set before him. For the joy, Jesus embraced the cross. For the joy set before him. What joy? He saw the promise of the Father. He saw the things that were to come. And so he embraced the hardship of the cross. He embraced the hardship of the trial that was before him for the joy that was set before him. 
He endured the cross, despising the shame. And sat, can you all bring me up a little bit? Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I can consider the joy of the Lord for myself. I can consider these things. What things do I consider? One, I consider that Christ is my propitiation. What is the joy of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It is this joy that existed from eternity past that God said when, when we make man in our image, there is going to be a need for a plan of redemption. I can find my joy in the fact of knowing that Christ is my propitiation. He is my sacrifice. What does that mean? That Christ became my sacrifice. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 says this. If you have your Bibles, 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, my little children, I want you to look it up in your Bible. I don't want you to just take my word for it. You need to study your Bible. You need to dig in your scripture and underline these verses. This is a verse you need to know. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, My little children, John is writing to his disciples. He's writing to some say the same area that Peter wrote to. And he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is what? Our propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He is my sacrifice. What does that mean that he's my propitiation? This holy God. God is holy. There's none like Him. He is absolutely unique and perfect in His own self. He is self-existent. He is perfectly complete in and of Himself. This holy God steps into creation. He condescends His glory. He takes on the nature of sin He who knew no sin was made to be sin for you and I. He steps in as a little baby. The king of glory comes into creation as a baby. Not as a conquering king riding on a donkey. Not in a palace full of glory and splendor. But he comes as a baby that will be killed for you and I. He comes as a little child that will be murdered For my sin. He becomes my propitiation. He became my sacrifice. He took on himself the sins of the world. Isaiah 53 says that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's borne your griefs. God did not turn his head at your sin. God did not wink at your sin. But the full 100% of the weight of God's wrath and fury was laid on Jesus Christ for you and I. That is, that is the gospel message that He became our propitiation. So yeah, when I'm facing difficult days, yeah, when I'm facing testing and trials of my faith, I can look and I can gaze into heaven where sits Jesus, my propitiation. He is my sacrifice. He is sitting. I don't know what you're going through today, but He is sitting at the right hand of God today. Your sacrifice lives and rules and reigns all things by the word of his power that is my propitiation 
That is my joy. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Yeah, it is my joy to know. <laughs> to know. Yeah, it is my joy. It is my joy. It is my joy. I can rejoice and exceedingly, abundantly, overflowing, full of glory joy because of that. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be what? The propitiation for our sin. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Oh yeah, we hear from John the echoes of his gospel in John chapter 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ha ha, Yeah, and His, He, He, yeah, verse 14, He became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and He echoes that in, in His writing in the epistles. He says, we have handled, we have touched We have handled the manifested love of God. We have touched this love. We have seen this love. We have, have you touched? Have you touched the hem of his garment? Have you touched? Have you grabbed hold of the love of God? Have you applied that love to yourself? Yeah, that's what John was talking about. I've I've tasted (laughs) and I've seen the Lord, and he's good today. I've grabbed, I've handled. He came and manifested Himself for me. This propitiation came and manifested Himself for me. And I've seen it. I've beheld it. I've tasted it for myself. Peter in his writing in chapter 1 said, Though you've not seen, yet you've believed. And I would say to you and I today, we're in the same boat. We haven't seen with our natural eyes. But by faith, we have apprehended something greater than ourselves. By faith, we have taken hold. We have laid hold of the principles that God is my propitiation ourselves. Handled it by faith. Tasted and seen it by faith. He, he goes on, John says, that we might live through Him. This word live is the Zoe life. God wants you to live a fully animated, fully experiential, full of vibrancy kind of life. That's what that word Zoe life, it's the God kind of life. He didn't come so that you could be mopey dopey Christian. He came that you could be a happy Christian. He came that you could enjoy Him, be full of joy, exceedingly full of glory. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Then all the more press in. All the more press into God. All the more begin to recognize. We don't look at the things that are seen. Paul said we look at the things that are unseen. I peer through the portals of heaven. I look through the window seal of heaven. And I see my Savior sitting as my propitiation. And it makes me happy. <laughs> It makes me joyful. Sometimes that's the only thing you have to hold on to. Sometimes the reality of Christ is all you got, and that's all you need. That's all you got, it's all you need. Just begin to, by faith, 
don't stop blaming your husband, your situation, your fight. Just peer through the window seal of heaven. He's still sitting on the throne. He hasn't moved. <laughs> he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved. Yeah, he's my propitiation. Romans chapter 3 tells us, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is He my propitiation, but He is my justifier. <laughs> Woo! It's not by works, Paul says in here in Rome, it's not by works of the flesh, it's not by deeds of the law that I am justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means that you are absolutely 100% guilty, but God stamps not guilty over your sins. He stamps acquitted. He stamps not guilty. When you look at yourself, you're evil, full of vile, oh, wretched man that you are. Jesus Christ has stamped justified over your sin. It's not by your works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's not of works, but it is by grace through faith that you and I are born again. We are justified by the faith, by faith through grace. It is God's work in us. It's God saying, I see this mountain of multitude of sins in your life. Yeah, God can't turn his eye from your sin. God, God doesn't wink, we said earlier. He doesn't wink. He doesn't turn his head from your sin. But when Jesus stamps justified over your life, he no longer sees the mountain over your sin. He begins to speak to that mountain and say, Mountain, you got to go. Sins be cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. He stamps justified and no longer sees the sin that was attached to you and I. He sees the image of His Son. He looks at my life and He sees His Son. He sees me clothed with the garment of righteousness. He sees me carrying the signet ring of ownership of my Father. He sees me possessed by, by His love. He doesn't, he doesn't see the sin and the depravity. He sees His Son. I've been forgiven. I've been justified. I've been de declared justified by grace. Justified by God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1 it says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. John 1.16. Oh yeah. <laughs> John 1.16. Of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. Have you tasted of the fullness of the Lord today? There is an overflowing manifestation of the fullness of God for you. And I, I don't know if you hear what I'm saying this morning, but there is a grace. We can receive grace 
for grace, for grace, for grace, for grace. Come and drink. Come and dine at the master's table. Come and feast at the table of his grace. There's overflowing grace for you today. And it'll transform your life. It'll change who you are. All of a sudden, instead of this ugly, selfish, self-centered mess of a person that you are, he imputes, he implants, he impregnates, he puts, he stamps over your wretched self, the image of Christ. He puts a new nature on the inside of you. And then all of a sudden you have this realization that I no longer have to live in the old carnal self. I don't no longer have to stay in the nature of the old man. But I'm going to live according to my new nature. I've put on the nature of Christ. I've taken up the garment of righteousness. The garment of praise. I've taken up the image and the smell and the aroma of Jesus himself. I don't need to live according to my old self. I don't need to live. I don't need to dabble in the sin and see how close I can get to compromise. Because I've been justified. When you've been justified, you don't want to see how close you can get to the sin. When you've been justified and you've tasted of the miracle of justification, you don't want to compromise. <laughs> there's, a, there's a recognition in your life that there's something greater. There's something more. There's something deeper. Oh, I've tasted. I've tasted of His grace. I've tasted of something deeper. I've tasted of something more real. More real than anything this life has to offer. C.S. Lewis, I love C.S. Lewis, used to say that, that, yeah, we're like children. We're far too easily satisfied. God offers us a holiday at the sea, but we're too satisfied with our mud pies. Oh, I want to go on a journey with the Lord at a holiday at sea. He is my justifier. Yeah, he is the one who's justified me. And as a result of his justification... The Bible says you have not received the spirit of slavery. You've not been brought back into the place of slavery, but you have received the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, by which you and I can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. You and I have taken on. You and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been justified. I have the spirit of Christ living on the inside of me. That same spirit that flows between the Father and the Son that's protruding from the throne, that's flowing from the throne of God. That same river that Jesus said I could drink of and have flowing out of me. Yeah, I've received that in the spirit of adoption. That spirit of, the, of sonship. The Holy Spirit has come. He sealed me. He's marked me. I bear the seal of my heavenly Father. I have the promise, Ephesians says, you have been sealed for the day of redemption. I have the engagement ring that my Jesus, my, bride, my, my bridegroom is coming for me. Yeah. <laughs> the spirit of sonship. I've been justified, have you? <laughs> I've tasted of the justifying power of God, have you? Yeah, he's my sanctifier. He's my sanctifier. I've been, he's been my propitiation. He's justified me and he sanctifies me. In Hebrews chapter 13, 
Hebrews chapter 13. Are your, are your spirit mans being stretched this morning? Are you receiving this morning from the word of the Lord? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 says, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to be sanctified by my own good works. I don't have to be sanctified by my efforts. You know, when we get born again, all of a sudden we think that we've got to clean our own act up. We come to Jesus by faith, but all of a sudden, now that I'm saved, I have, to, I have to do something, right? That's not what Scripture tells us. He sanctifies us. Oh yeah, we cooperate with the work of God. We yield to Him. But I've got news for you. If you've got an addiction in your life, if you've got an issue in your life, if you've got a problem in your life, if you've got sin in your life, if there's an area of temptation in your life, your good will and good efforts and every ounce of skill you've got won't change your life. Your 12 steps may help you for a couple of months, but I guarantee you, if you don't get transformed by the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost, you'll go right back. You'll go right back to your addiction. You'll go right back as, as, as the pig returns to the slop. You'll find your slop again, I promise. Why? Because it's your carnal nature. It's your carnal nature that, that's at war. You have to have the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. By his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him. Oh yeah, you've got to let go of your image. Stop hanging out in the city to maintain your image and maintain your good works and how, how good you are. Go outside the gate. Bear the reproach that Jesus bore. Go meet him outside the city where he hung and he bled and he died and get on the cross with him. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It is Christ in me. I'm going outside the gate and I'm getting on the cross with Jesus. Stop getting off the cross and going back into town. Hang out with Jesus outside the gate. Hang outside the gate with Jesus in the holy place <laughs> where his blood drips for you and I. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> For here, we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You know, we get comfortable. We get comfortable in our, in our homes, in our careers, in our families, and just the way things go. We get comfortable. There's a routine. But when you, like Abraham... Have your eyes set on a city whose builder and maker was God? <laughs> when you, like Jesus, set your eyes on the joy that's before you and not the cross that you're enduring, all of a sudden you can't stay. You can't stay in the city of comfort and ease. You can't stay hanging out where everything's just smooth and all of a sudden you have to go outside the gate because your eyes are fixed on another, another city Another world. you got to move outside of what you're comfortable with. The Holy Spirit comes in and He begins to say, yeah, yeah, that issue. That, that deep area of your heart that you've not dealt with. Come a little closer. Get a little bit further outside the city. Let's deal with that. Let's bring that to the cross. Let's nail that on the cross. Yeah, that, that issue of temptation. Come a little bit closer. Come a little bit closer, child. Let's, let's deal with that. And the sanctifying work of God is done in those moments. When you and I are confident 
in God of our justification, we will cooperate with God in our sanctification. When you know that God is not drawing you outside the city to deal with your issues and your sin, to hurt you and to harm you, but you see Him as your loving Father, when you see Him as a loving God who has embraced you, who has chosen you, who has redeemed you, who has ransomed you, who has justified you, when you begin to see the reality of God's love for you, it's no longer a question of, well, I'm a horrible, wretched person and I'm going to hell because God's convicted me. I could never go to the altar because the altar is a place, you know, that's where the sinners go. Lord, find me at the altar. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's, I don't care what other people think. It doesn't matter at this point. I'm loved by you. <laughs> and you're sanctifying me. <laughs> I, I want to set someone free this morning, if I can, by the words of the Holy Spirit. While we're on this topic about the altar. The altar is not a scary place, nor is it a place of condemnation or judgment. The altar is a place where you find your freedom. The altar is a place where you pray through until God meets you and your life transforms. The altar is a place of where self and pride dies. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm loved by Him. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I'm being transformed. God loves me so much. He loves me so much that He's choosing to change me. He doesn't want me to keep looking like my old self. He wants me to look like Jesus. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He wants me to look just like Himself. He loves me so much that He's changing me to look more and more and more like Him. To look more and more and more like Him. You know, it's funny. Growing up, I always heard, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, you look just like your dad. <laughs> you should aggravate the tar out of me, because the last person I wanted to look like was my dad, you know? I want freedom from my parents, right? We all have been there. I don't want to look like them. I want to get away from them. And I still hear it to this day, you know, I've realized it's okay to look like my dad, because I have his DNA flowing through my blood. I'll let that sink in for you. I, it's okay to look like your father. It's okay for him to change you and to sanctify you and to set you free because you've got his DNA running through your veins. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so considering these things, <laughs> Paul said in Hebrews, so, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name oh yeah I, I get the reality of who God is and I give thanks I praise him Andrew Murray says without the camp this expression which occurs twice in this verse is accompanied by without the gate gives us the chief thought we are ever inclined to seek our religion and its enjoyment in something external and it is only to be found in fellowship with Jesus. Our joy, our religion, our hope is found in fellowship with Jesus. His death is not only an atonement for sins. It is that, praise God. But it is also an entrance into what is great, a great deal more and better. It is, it's more better, I'm telling you. you just, the, 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 the atonement of Jesus. It is the atonement, but it is more better. There's more better for you. It is the way and the power, a living way of fellowship with Him. It is a living way, 
a fellowship. You, it's not a one-time prayer and you're done, seal the deal. No, no. It is a living fellowship daily with Him. Do you daily commune with your sanctifier? Do you daily commune with your justifier? Do you daily commune with your sacrifice who sits at the right hand of the Father? Yeah. So that, like Him, we come to God in the path of self-sacrifice and separation from the world and death to sin. His death and life work in us as the power that makes us ready and able, even like Him, to go without the gate, to be crucified to the world, bearing His reproach. True joy in God is found in my pursuit of Him. The world pursues pleasure to find joy, but my pleasure as a believer is in God alone. I press into God. I, press, I pursue God, and in God I find pleasure. In God I find joy. In the world, they'll tell you to pursue pleasure, pursue your drugs, pursue your relationships, pursue your career, pursue success, and then you'll be happy. But as a Christian, as a believer, as, a, as one who fellowships with God, I pursue Him and I I find my pleasure. I pursue Him and I find my joy. Oh yeah, and it's an abundant joy. It's full of glory and inexpressible. I, I, see, I see Jesus hanging on that cross outside of, the, outside of the city. Outside of the city. And He's saying, Hello? He's saying, answer your phone. Turn it off. He's saying, come with me. Outside of the gate, he's saying, come with me. Come with me to the secret place. You know, when you go outside the city, you step into the secret place with the Lord. When you come outside the city, you step in to the secret place with him, the place where only you and he can go. Come to the secret place. One thing I have desired, David said, one thing, that I would behold the beauty of His yep. glory. Yep. One thing, that I might just dwell in the temple, just behold Him. When you step outside the city, the, the cares of the city, the cares of the world fade away. And all of a sudden, you begin to step in to this place where you see God sanctifying you, setting you free. There's, there's two works of sanctification. He changes you, He transforms you, but then He fits you together with brothers and sisters. That takes a sanctifying work. It takes, a, it takes a miracle to get anybody on the same page with someone else. You know, when God starts talking about building his church, that's a miracle. He takes people of different backgrounds, different beliefs, different, uh, different socioeconomic statuses, different education backgrounds. He takes all of us and he begins to shape and fashion and form us and fit us to. That's the sanctifying work of yeah. the Holy Spirit. And we're being built into what? A habitation for his presence. He's sanctifying us, changing us, and transforming us to become a living dwelling place for his glory. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, therefore, he is also to save to the... Oh, that was weak. He was able to save to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He's my propitiation. He's my justifier. He is my sanctifier. And He is my heavenly intercessor. He's sitting right now, the Bible says, at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I. 
the same high priest that was able to make atonement for our sin, the same high priest that eternally rules and reigns all things by his power, the same high priest, the same high priest that brings us in to this supernatural joy, the same high priest that declares us justified, the same high priest is sitting and praying and interceding on your behalf today. And he's not praying that you'll get a new car in, a, in your best life now. <laughs> you want to know what he's praying? He's saying, Father, would you keep them? Father, would you sustain them? In the time of testing, would you preserve them? Let them know this joy that I, yeah, go read John before Jesus ascended, before he was crucified, before he was resurrected. Read the prayer of Jesus. He didn't didn't pray that you and I would have a comfortable life. He prayed that you and I would be sustained in the midst of this life. Lord, would you keep those? Lord, would you keep them? Would you sustain them? Would you persevere them? You see, our salvation is not based on what we do. When you and I get to heaven, we will not see a contract of salvation signed by you and I that we prayed at some altar sometime. Our contract with salvation is signed in the blood of Jesus with His name only. That tells me that my salvation and my redemption is sustained and it is persevered. Not because I'm some great person and have it all together. No, it is sustained. My salvation is sustained. Who I am in Christ is sustained. Who God is in me is sustained. Not based on my good works or my bad works. It's sustained on who Christ is, period. End of story. Well, are you saying, preacher, everybody's going to heaven? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you're born again and you bear the seal of God on your life, if he has redeemed you, if he has transformed you, if you are sanctified and being brought into sanctification by God, there is a journey with God that only he can sustain in your life. Only he can persevere that in your life. I can't sustain my salvation. I'm full of everything evil and vile. And my carnal nature's got to be transformed. My mind's got to be renewed. My emotions have got to be transformed. My desires and my will have to come into alignment with His. And, and guess what? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And that's why he's praying for you and I. Peter, I've prayed for you that when you've been sifted, that you would come through and encourage the brother. You will be sifted, Peter. You will go through hardship, Peter. You will deny me three times, Peter. But when you get through it, I've prayed and I've asked the Father, you're coming through this, buddy. Oh, y'all just missed an opportunity to shout. When you, you, you may look at your situation and the circumstances of life and say, I don't see the end. I don't see the hope at the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. But can I tell you that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's saying, you're going to make it through. I've prayed of the Father and you're going to make it through. And when you do encourage the brethren... Don't waste what you've been given. Don't waste it. If God has become your propitiation, if He has become your sanctification, if He's become your justifier, if He is sitting right now and interceding on your back, don't waste what you've been given. Encourage the brethren. Adam Clark says of this verse in Hebrews, he says, As Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, 
has an everlasting priesthood and is continual intercessor. It is in virtue of this that all who were saved from the foundation of the world were saved through Him. And all that shall be saved to the end of the world will be saved through Him. He ever was and ever will be the high priest, sacrifice, intercessor, mediator of the human race. All successive generations of men are equally interested in Him and may claim the same privileges. But none can be saved by His grace that do not come unto God through Him, imploring mercy through Him as their sacrifice and atonement, confidently trusting that God can be just and yet the justifier of them who turns, who thus come to Him believing in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is my high priest. Lastly, He... I could keep going. <laughs> we, just keep, we can just keep talking about the attributes of God today. There's an eternal supply of attributes. You can never run out. You know, if people say, well, I don't know what to tell people when I'm witnessing. Just talk about God. There's an eternal resource right there. Just talk about God. <laughs> talk about His goodness in your life. Talk about how He's redeemed you. Talk about how He saved you. Just talk about Jesus. Just, just talk about God. Just, just find. I mean, you've got three persons in the Godhead. I mean, you can just talk about... I mean, you can go forever. We can talk about all of it. How long you got? We'll talk. Don't be ashamed. Just talk about Jesus. Talk about God. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Talk about the goodness of the Lord in your life. Oh yeah, he is. He's my heavenly baptizer. And Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, <laughs> he, he, Jesus. Who? Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. <laughs> you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not in conflict. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, Allos, Parakletos, one just like me. He will give to you. I will pray. What was Jesus doing? Being our heavenly intercessor, praying on behalf. He will give you Allos, Parakletos, an advocate, a comforter, a standby, one just like me who will live in you and will continue this ministry that I've begun. That's what he was saying. Yeah, he will abide with you forever. Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Therefore, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Let me tell you, when Jesus came. He came as a baby. He was, he was born of Virgin Mary and he went to the cross. He became our propitiation, our sacrifice. He justifies, he sanctifies. But when he ascended into heaven, he took his rightful place at the right hand of God, taking his place as our heavenly high priest, taking his place as our heavenly intercessor. Oh yeah. And then what did he receive? Yeah, this love relationship that's been going on since eternity passed between the Father and the Son. The Father poured out 
breathed out the Holy Spirit on Jesus. That's what Peter says here. That's what Peter said here on the day of Pentecost. Whom Jesus received, this Holy Spirit, the Father began to pour out his love. When Jesus sat down beside him, what did the Father do? He began to pour out his love on Jesus. He began to pour out the spirit of love on Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He poured out the Holy Spirit on us. This is him who is pouring out what you now see and hear. Is the ministry of Jesus. He is, yeah, He is our heavenly baptizer. Friends, this tells us right here, if you've ever wondered, you know, Scripture is full of the truth to live our life. I mean, you need to get in the Word, you need to study it. And people, people who come up and argue the, the stupidest, silliest things about the Holy Spirit have no clue. They don't read their Bible. When Jesus was baptized in water, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a great picture of the salvation of God for you and I as believers. Jesus did the same thing in the end of John. He walked into the upper room, and he breathed on his disciples, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit, a picture of the seal of the Holy Spirit. But this same Jesus said, Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. There's more for you. There's more to come. You've just received the seal. There's more. You've received, in other words, the mark of sonship. You've, as Jesus received it as baptism, you've received the mark of sonship. You've received the power to do ministry, sure, but there's a, there's a mark of sonship. But there's more to this. There's more. And so wait. <laughs> Yield. <laughs> There's more, and He becomes our heavenly baptizer. He pours out the Holy Spirit. He is pouring out this, which you now see and hear. Yeah, don't get offended by tongues. Don't get offended by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're offended with the ministry of Jesus. It is the ministry of Jesus. That is what Peter said. It is what the apostles preached through the New Testament. Have you received since you believed? He's my heavenly baptizer. Yeah, he's my, he's my propitiation. He is my sanctifier. He is my justifier. He is, yeah, he is my heavenly high priest, my heavenly intercessor. And he is my heavenly baptizer. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. You are my God. <laughs> this is the glory of the Lord. This is the glory of the Lord. So, so, so how, 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 <laughs> how might you be joyful in all these various trials that you are facing? How might you be joyful, Peter said, in all of these things, these various colored trials? The joy of the Lord is my strength. How? How? Oh, he's my propitiation. Oh, he's my sanctifier. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what life looks like. He still rules and reigns. Jesus is still my propitiation. He's still my sanctifier. He's still my justifier. He's still God. He still rules. Yeah. Woo! Shikabase. Italamaye. Yeah. I can be joyful in the Lord. In all things, I can rejoice. <laughs> in all things, I can rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. 
You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.